Welcome everybody to the Tipped and Stiffed podcast. Do you know how hard it is to talk to blue collar workers about what drip is? <laughs> they don't get it. They really don't get it. I explained to them, you know, Red Wings is a popular, uh, you know, work boot. And I say, imagine you pull up to the site with your new Red Wing, Red Wings, and you go up to your fellow companions and you say, check out the drip. And they told me if you spoke like that at any real blue collar job that you would be thrown in a lake. I then had to explain to them that it was coming, that every new apprentice that they have is slowly but surely going to ruin whatever language they may have already procured. Well, because they talk in a very old... Old old, old is an world, interesting way to say old it. Old world way, I was going to say. Old or maybe... Um, Not even outdated, just... just, just <laughs> some. When people say some outdated, maybe outdated, when people say like racist things, when they're like, yeah, he speaks in a very outdated way, he uses outdated words. It's like, wait, so what are the new dated words <laughs> that you use instead exactly. to be racist? <laughs> What's the new racist words? Look, if any white person this, in this entire country goes, I don't believe that there's a racism problem. Um, talk to any 14-year-old middle school boy in the middle class who's white and also work at a blue-collar site, and you will, be, you will immediately go, oh, yes, there, this is an issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then when you see the news and they go, all white people are racist, you go... It's a good bunch. <laughs> you stop saying no. You go. It's a, it's a good bunch. It's a healthy handful. It's a healthy. It's a healthy handful to say the least. Um. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I I, I wonder. You know, I had a friend telling me that he goes to a skate park and all these like little twelve year old, thirteen year olds who are skating around on scooters. They all just say this weird, sha this thing. It's that's hilarious. It that's, sounds so funny. It, it sounds tickle, like it a blast. You. I love that. <laughs> middle schoolers are hilarious. They're just, you know, when you see middle schoolers, you go, "You should be in elementary." They're way too small. When you were in middle school, you're like, "We're we're so much bigger." We're big now. And then you get to high school, and even still, you're like, "Yeah, middle schoolers are decent size, not as big as the seniors, but they're decent size." And then when you're out of high school, you go, that's a small child. When you see an eighth grade, you go, that's a small child. And then you look at freshmen, you go, oh, some of you are behemoths, and some of you some of you <laughs> are still small children. You it's get very a wide strange. variety. I remember when we were like in like junior, senior year, everyone would always say, like, I think the freshmen are getting shorter. And I don't know if that was just like a perspective shift because now we were – bigger and we didn't but then everyone was like when when we were freshmen like we you know we were like pretty average height all around but now i think it's real that every almost every freshman i saw was like barely cracking five feet yes most of the time they're small weird they're they're um i get it why middle school is only three years but it probably should be four sixth graders might need to be in elementary or I mean, may, maybe elementary should yeah maybe elementary should just be a year longer, a year or two longer. It's strange. I don't know what we're going to do. But um, 
Yeah, we don't make those decisions. I don't make those decisions. I won't ever make those decisions. This podcast will not let me. Also, my general mental health. I would run for I would run for office. I remember once you talked about running for mayor. I would run for mayor. I feel like if you wanted to run for mayor of Kenosha right now, it would be the easiest time to do it. Any, everyone hates this mayor. No one really likes them. Y- y- I it, like. What's his it, name? The Azerbaijan or Antaranium? Antaranium. There was um Azerbaijan. That's that's something else. Um, Azerbaijan. That's what you were getting confused about. Um, it's it's really weird because you know I, I usually say on this podcast that voting doesn't matter, but someone corrected me the other day. They said, "Well, voting for some things doesn't really matter," and I was like. Yes, actually, you are right. Voting for a lot, some things don't matter. However, those some things are very big. But, you know, you probably should educate. If anything, we have it wrong. Everyone cares about the presidential election, which will not change. But you really should care about, like, who's running your city. What is your city council? Who's your alderman? Who's your DA of the city? Because, who's you the know. sheriff? You, you, yeah, exactly. You don't even know who these people are. You don't know any of their background because you don't really care, and that's fine. It's boring. It's not exciting. There's not, there's not. You know, none of them have an arsenal of uh, nuclear weapons. None of them have the military. You know, at, at their at their will, right? When you're the president, you are the commander in chief. You are the highest position in the military, technically. I think as a yes. I, I don't know if that's considered a citizen position or a military position but you are the commander in chief and when you're mayor you know you're just the mayor you can't do anything i mean you can do some things in like states of emergency but you're not you're not flexing that power over anybody right Mm -hmm. the most the, the most our mayor does is approve like buildings to be built that's it but you know sometimes it's like maybe if you were mayor you could figure out what's going on with the budget where is all the money going like i it would be kind of i don't know what age you need to be to run mayor to run for mayor but i would love like a 22 year old as mayor that'd be awesome i mean it maybe something yeah. would get done maybe if a 22 year old i gotta be honest if i ran for mayor of this city i would leak everything <laughs> <laughs> i would leak everything I'd be like, yeah, remember that case? You know, there was another case years and years ago about uh, uh about this um, this kid who was killed by police. He was like tw- 19. Michael something. Something. It was an old old case. There was and a, a lot bi- of people. Yeah, that want- billboard was up for a, a long time. There's been there was billboards all over Kenosha about wanting to reopen the case and that you know that there was like a lot of corruption going on there and. Uh, the officers who were involved in the shooting ended up killing themselves. I would leak those documents. I would love to leak those documents. I want to know the truth about that. Look, mm. everyone loves a good conspiracy. Everyone talks about how, you know, loony like the QAnon people are, but everyone else, everyone has their own little conspiracy theories. Everybody loves conspiracy theories. They love it whether they're on the left or the right, or they love them. The best ones that people don't, the best ones that people really like are um, ones that just happen in their town. Right. That's what people like. They like those ones. And it is fun. Like, um, you know, uh, it makes you feel like you, you're more a part of it, that maybe whatever, uh, whatever, the, whatever that conspiracy theory surrounds, you could actually go to the place in which it might be happening. 
So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't go. You're not going to Yale to break into the Skull and Bones tomb. You know what I mean? You're not going to be <laughs> on Little St. James Island. But you could sit in on a meeting for your city council and you could meet all those people. You could go up to them and be like, I know what you did. And you right. know, you and, could actually And that them. might give you a little bit of a thrill. That might be kind of... I mean, the, as far as I know, there haven't been a lot of... Uh, Talk, there hasn't been a lot of talk about any conspiracies in Kenosha, particularly, except for when it pertains to our city's role as like the the highway for human trafficking between the two bigger cities on either side of us. Lots of drugs come through here, too. and lots of drugs come through here. Mm. And, well, even and, s- and that's still even kind of. I mean, when we were younger, it wasn't as much of a conspiracy because a lot of us were involved with people who sold drugs or like you know, at least knew people who our age did. who 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 like dealt drugs, but. They were not like the, the, they were not the, you know, they were just the tip, tip of the iceberg well, for that, for whatever was going on, you know, because it comes from other places in the country. Well, the biggest, you know what the biggest conspiracy in the Kenosha, conspiracy theory in Kenosha is, hmm. is the vast amount of ties to the mob. And that's just because it's, we have such a heavy Italian population here. Some of the richest families in the city are, Italian, um, Al Capone had a house here mm-hmm. that he owned that is like a historical, uh, it was like his getaway when uh, Chicago was too hot. So it's like uh, there definitely was a lot of uh, organized crime going on here for a while. Not, it was more important when we had trade going through here. Uh, Kenosha has a port. And since it has a port, you know, there was things coming in and out of here. There was businesses. There was actually, you know, Teamsters here, right? There were uh, unions, strong unions, big unions here. Mm-hmm. You had one of the biggest uh, car manufacturers in the entire country here with, uh, you know, freight containers coming into port. Th- that is money. There's something, you know, if you're in the business of, you know, being involved in the black market you have access to a trade route that is uh, a trade port that has access to the ocean. So you, that's what you got to, you got to kind of think of it like that. And that's an interesting, that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. You know, you go like, Oh, there's, that's a lot of economic opportunity for someone who knows how to maybe work that angle. And there was a lot, I mean, we don't know how big the mob was, but you know, it's just the fact that, there's just a lot of whispers. Oh, and there's, and no- there's a lot of stories that everyone has of like family members, like uh, they would have like the one uncle. They're like, yeah, he was one of the boys. You know what I mean? Like he was, right. he was a wise guy. He was a good fella. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no, really. I know somebody who's like yeah. their step, their dad was a real good fella in mm. Kenosha, in this general area. And it's like, they're all, it's a, again, tied to a lot of these old Italian families What's the thing? We only have stories. Like we only have the the bulk of these enterprises really only happened before any of us or even our parents were born. So what what I'm what I want to ask is like where where did that end? And like did any of that bleed into what we have now in our city? Well, that, that's what will be interesting to know. But first, I would want to know all the inner workings and the behind the scenes of of those original days. That's where we'd have to look first. I don't know. The thing is, is that 
the mob ended when like it's there's a weird thing there's so many people who are open about how they were in the mob now and it just doesn't matter this one guy in particular who who's on like a lot of podcasts he's been on like impulsive and stuff and he has like a youtube channel he talks about what it was like to be in the mob the mob days Mm -hmm. and it's like he's fine he went to prison no one's killing him he just tells (laughs) all the stories like doesn't matter all the people are dead or arrested but it just doesn't have any power anymore because of all the businesses in which they had invested themselves in uh, kind of went away. Probably just got liquidated. There's probably no... Well, they don't really hold any like, economic power anymore. As the generations go on, it's like not that many people are excited about going to strip clubs. Not that many people are excited about gambling. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. where a lot of money was made. Uh, these cash businesses, they're not around anymore. Everything's done digitally. And so... You know, tech, it was technology, it was politics. And it was the uh, law catching on to those well, tactics too, right? Think those of when, businesses. Well, think of when the, when the mob really started losing power was like the 80s. But what was coming up in the 80s? Literally one of the strongest cartels in the entire world. So mm. it was a shift in uh, the government didn't need to, to, to work with the mob anymore. They didn't want to. They weren't, you know, the mob wasn't as enterprised uh, all over the world you know, all over the country as, you know, a, a guy in Colombia who is working with the CIA who has yeah. access to, you know, literally his own supply chain in a sense where he has planes and, you know, foot soldiers. You know what I mean? Like if you're talking about the sphere of influence, you know, in the 60s, the mob was used to, to fight communism with getting guns out of the country and selling them you know, to the CIA and their involvement in the Bay of Pigs, you know, the mob's involvement with uh, JFK and the JFK assassination. They just didn't have, you know, the power of the unions is going down, you know, the way that uh, corporations operate is changing. Um, and there's a lot of eyes on everything. You can't just, it, it, it's the type of crime that they did. It's just, you know, it moved like it's still happening in a sense. Like there's a lot of stuff about uh, Les Wexner and you know how mm-hmm. uh, the C- he you That's know the Victoria's Secret guy. Yeah, right? but he's the CEO of the Victoria's Secret is a parent company of a company, and that's the Les Wexner is the CEO of okay. that, which I, I believe that includes Plato's Closet as well and a n- few other stores. Whoa. But there's like a whole story about like. You know, these bogus, uh, you know, airlines that he had access to and there was, you know, human trafficking involved. You know, I was listening to Whitney Cummings and, you know, she was talking about how everyone thinks that, you know, exotic pet, you know, bringing exotic pets all over the world. You don't think about like, how do tigers get here? You know what I mean? How do how do pandas get here? How do how do uh, chimpanzees get here? And one of the things that she said, she's like. If you're involved in smuggling exotic animals for thousands of thousands of dollars, you're not too far from being involved in smuggling people. <laughs> and she's right. And so, you know, I think, uh, you know, as I think it has to do with globalization. It has to do with uh, the players uh, involved, uh, you know, with organized crime around the world. Are, are way too strong. I think a lot of corporations kind of are probably involved with it. Well, because it has to do with like the, the, that level of crime like won't be allowed to go to continue unless you cut in the government and the people who are 
who can survey everything. Exactly. You would, you would have to cut them in in order to continue and making the, money. And the mob doesn't have poppy fields. Right. You know what I mean? It, they don't have poppy fields. They don't have, uh, you know, they don't have the, the plant in which where cocaine comes from. You know what I mean? They don't have the plants in which opium comes from. Right. They don't have control over those things. They, they're they not. They tried to have control over those they things. They tried to be part of it, but it just wasn't. It wasn't enough. The idea of what the uh, uh, American gangster was changed. It became really involved in drugs and it became involved with, you know, large portions of the government, you know, these dark enterprises in a sense. And there's a lot of weird stuff about that, uh, the end of the mob and how it kind of filtered. And, and a lot of their investments fell through. Um, people don't know that the mob was trying to build Havana in Cuba as this paradise for them to make it a destination for americans and europeans to go gamble in cuba so that they were they had they would be relieved of all pressure from the federal government Mm -hmm. and they were going to use that as their money laundering island but what happened while they were building havana was the revolution Mm. when they went to become communists Mm -hmm. and obviously it didn't work out after that. So they, they lost a lot of uh, big families, lost money on their investments in Cuba. Uh, and then they tried to do that in Las Vegas. And eventually um, the biggest gangster of them all came in, which was large corporations who bought out these these casinos. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff like that. It's, it's a very interesting thing. I mean, Tim Dillon talks a lot about how like a lot of – any mob that may be left, a lot of it's in like Long Island, New York, because there's a lot of cash businesses there and nobody cares. So yeah. it, it's just interesting. It's just not, everyone knows, no one can tell you about, uh, no one today can tell you about families, organized crime, Italian organized crime families, but they can sure tell you they know who El Chapo is. Mm. Or they know who. Even though he's not alive anymore, but Pablo Escobar is. They can tell you what, you know, the Crips and the Bloods are, or, you know, the the Disciples or stuff like that. They know that, like, these the gangs and cartels in the United States are much more networked, at least, yeah, than the mob is. Active. I, it's weird because I don't think... Uh, there is some difference in between it you know it's gangs in this country don't have the same might of like owning judges and politicians however they just get involved with underground uh, ops that are having in the united states like in la when you know uh it, it broke through that the cia was you know not even the cia but a government operation was trying to peddle in drugs into urban areas, you know, detectives like whistleblowers were talking about how they were invited by government entities to be part of it. And some of those people working with those government entities were, you know, drug dealers, drug lords. So it's very odd. I obviously as organized and how big your operation may be as how deep you may be involved with like, uh, the government or what you're doing, but they, yeah, you never really hear about, um, if anyone's going to own judges, it's going to be something more with the elite. It's mm-hmm. not going to be, 
a gang. It's not going to be an organized crime family. That just doesn't that doesn't happen. All the money's in tech. You know what I mean? All the money's in oil. Those people have the real power. So it's interesting. It's interesting how those things changes change and how like uh, in the Middle East, you think of how big big pharma is and how in the Middle East you can look up of like uh, the Middle East accounts for like 93% of the world's opium production and Marines would talk about how when they were deployed they were told to protect poppy fields in the Middle East. Just interesting, weird stuff like that. Weird, weird corporate interests like that that involve the military and, you know, the DOD and the government. Lots of stuff to unwrap in that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe one day we'll have like a real episode on on things like that where we, I'll look into, you know, really, uh, you know, I'll listen to like an audio book about something and we'll, We'll open it up. I mean, that yeah. would be interesting. We'll, we'll take some notes. I would really we'll like to do some, some podcasts where we deep dive into a topic. And I feel like the only way we're really going to do is like, I need to just sit down and sometimes listen to uh, audiobooks while I'm working on mm. other stuff because there is a lot of things. And I would love, like, there's like three things I want to learn about. I want to learn about like crime and elitism, like those things. I want to learn more about political and economic theory and i would i want to learn more about uh indigenous cultures in the united states and then indigenous cultures and cowboys Mm. like those two things and how you know I, i was i was listening to the radio and there was a a fact it was a it was a advertisement for like a podcast and they said that most people don't know that like one out of four cowboys were black and i thought that was really interesting really yeah and uh you just wouldn't think about that like all all. the movies depict cowboys as being white and maybe i mean the white frontier what are you supposed i mean i'm sure i mean those movies when were they when were they made but they (laughs) talked about they actually know there was a lot of like there was like racial diversity in cowboys and i'm like that's cool Oh, I know what to talk about. I just watched an excellent movie. Yeah? Yes. It was called, it's called The Battle for Jonestown. Man, I really, and I want to read about this. It is an excellent movie, in my opinion. I guess some people didn't like it, but, like, really did like it. Um, It's about this county in Mississippi called Jonestown. Um, and it takes place during the civil war and it's about, um, it's about, uh, this county that kind of revolted against the Confederacy during the civil war. So it was like a ragtag group of farmers of like people who didn't who were against the draft that's also something i didn't know when the civil war happened people were drafted on the confederacy side yeah no on the both sides the union and the confederate and it was just really interesting when people are like they were all fighting for like racism it's like those people didn't have a choice like they in the movie they depict how like the military would show up and they would take attacks on the estates instead of just money so it was like clothing uh blankets 
corn. It wasn't just money. It was like the food that they needed, that these farmers needed to live because people weren't living in cities. They were living in rural environment, you know, rural country counties. And so it really, uh, really kind of, you know, showed class and race issues and how nuanced and strange that time was. And, you know, of course, obviously we're in the time where we're still trying to figure out slavery is bad or not. Right. That time is over. um, We know know what it was. But they kind of showed how bullshit, you know, the war ends and the union just like let all these Southern states kind of pass all these bogus laws to let all these con growers that get away with all these heinous acts that they committed and how they had like laws to pretty much like pseudo enslave black people. It's terrible. I mean, it's like, Jesus. and then all these characters that are the, that are black people in it are like, um, are like really they're normal. That's what's crazy about it. That was one thing that, uh, you know, like it's just a normal, okay, that sounds weird, but uh, you know, look, as opposed compared to like how, how they could be. It's just like, so obviously like, okay, if I could compare it, you know, you know, you know, in Quentin Tarantino's Django, you remember the interview with, um, Jamie Foxx where, uh, and right in the beginning of the movie, he's literally chained up and Mm -hmm. he says, you know, I was, he, Jamie Foxx is explaining how he was like walking real cool. Yeah. Right. And then he was like, Quentin Tarantino stopped and he was like, um, all right. He's like, he was like, you're a fucking, fucking slave. You're, you're a, a fucking, fucking slave. slave. You're not a cool guy. You're right. a slave. You don't have a Gucci bag. That's what he said. Yeah, to he him. said, you don't, because Jamie Foxx was rich. Yes. He was like, he was like, you gotta be a certain way. And that it certain wasn't, way is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly, it was portrayed real, like in this movie. It was portrayed like real people. Like they, yeah. like you really felt like, damn, this is just. Uh, it was the character Moses. Like, dude, this guy is literally being treated like he treated like he isn't human, and it's just like a normal. It's just a, the way that he was written. It's just like this is just like a somebody you meet on the street. That's all, mm-hmm. that's all, and it was, like, more powerful that it wasn't, like, a character who's, like, super kind of, like, in, empowered, I guess. It, right. it was, like, it wasn't, like, you know, we're taking on the white man, or we're taking on all these racist white man. It was more, like, I just want to be with my family. Right, I <laughs> want to be the know, person I am. Yeah, he was, like, I just want to see my kid, and I want to just... So put it, food on my table. Their personality and, and wasn't just revolved around the situation, the racial it situation. Was just, it was just a person. It was yeah, and that it made it and because it was written that way, you're like you hated actually the people who were doing awful things to him even way more. more yeah. Because I it was like, that. oh, he really isn't doing anything wrong. It's just a dude. And that's what's great great about the movie is about it's like this relationship between the guy who led the revolution and how he when he became a deserter for the Confederacy, he joined up with Moses in, in like the swamp where there was all these runaway slaves. And, you know, he ha- grows a better relationship with them. And uh 
it doesn't fall for the sin of of the white guy saving the black guy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, a lot of the people in the revolution were uh, in the revolt, not the revolution, in the revolt were white, and there was a lot of black people involved in it later. But that's because it was hard to be a runaway slave. <laughs> Right. And the some of the white people who were in this revolt were racist. So it was it's a very interesting movie of how it shows like um there's just an interesting part where like one of the white one of the like white farmers calls Moses the N word and cuz Moses is like trying to eat from this feast they're having. And Moses goes, "How you ain't?" And he goes, what do you mean? And he goes, how you ain't? And then the main guy, he like, he's like, he means, how aren't you a n? And he goes, and he and he goes, Whoa. what do you mean by that? He's like, Whoa. what? He's like, he's like Moses was forced to work for the for the con uh, for the cotton man, something like that. The con, not the cotton farmer, but for the uh, for the con like. Oh, Moses was forced to pick Khan. You were forced to die for it. That's the line. And it was, it's so good. And, uh, and, uh, it's just, it's just really interesting. And just like, it's a very good movie because it's, it's just like there, it kind of shows, you know, class issues and race issues. And you go, it just kind of really builds a, a good narrative around like why, people are still so frustrated with things because you go, yeah, we like even just to think about like, and they kind of demonstrate this in the movie, like even after the war was over, um, what a lot of people don't know is that, uh, before Abraham Lincoln died, it was promised that, that black slaves were going to get 40 acres and a mule as like reparations. Mm -hmm. But after Abraham Lincoln died, the next president was like, no, we're not doing that. And so you kind of do feel in a sense that like they kind of never got a fair start. Like immediately in a sense, like you go from slavery and then it's like share crop holders. And, but in the, in the movie they show that there's like an apprentice program that they say, if like, if, if you were, uh, a slave on a farm, you were considered now legally in Mississippi someone who was part of a, an apprenticeship. And then if you leave the apprenticeship without the consent of the owner, that you were breaking the law. And so they right. didn't have to pay them. So they were slaves again. And it was just like a weird, you know, using yeah. all these legal loopholes and how like, you know, these con plantation owners who were rich were like influencing the government and the government was in on and didn't give a shit and, these confederacy guys then started holding positions of law and mm-hmm. it's fucked up. It's a great mm-hmm. movie, but you just like you watch it and you do feel like really frustrated because you're like, why, why doesn't it stop? You know what I mean? It's like, why is it? it, it and then you, you think, man, that was just the 18, you know, sixties, 1870s. And you're like, and then you start thinking like, man, these poor people, are dealing with all these problems in in the South during this time. And they're like, you don't even get to like the Jim Crow laws. You don't even get mm-hmm. to 
uh, the next hundred red line years. You yeah. don't get to all these denial of loans. Then you don't have to deal. Then they're gonna. Then you don't. You're not even at the the credit system yet. You know what I mean? Like it's just like everything. You just, just like keep thinking about like as like that. the modern world goes on. You're like, oh, what's the next thing gonna be? And then you think like, oh, and then access to education, access to healthcare, all these things, and you're like the explosion of like the urban population like it's just like oh you're like oh man it just yeah obviously it's better than being a slave but it's like it's but still it's like, not are ideal you, are you, it's like but are you aren't you now you're still a slave because of all these things got stacked on top of that original well, you, it just feels like we may, we're giving people we're not giving people wealth generational wealth yeah right that a yeah. lot of white people specifically you know, like the boomer generation of white people really have gotten to enjoy. Um, and, and it's like, I maybe I mean, and everyone should be made aware of that, that there really, there definitely is a skew in the economical quality in this, in the, in this country. And it's a great movie that kind of, it gets your head to think. And in the movie, they also start showing like the Ku Klux Klan and you're like, what the fuck? And how there was thousands of lynchings. And you're just like, just like taking innocent people out of their homes and just murdering them. It's just like, what the fuck? It, it's just, it's, and it's nuts to think that, you know, obviously like we have like free speech and stuff. And so like, if people put up a Ku Klux Klan flag, you're like, that's fucked up, but they can do it. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's so weird. Like it feels like so many, it, it just feels like these things should have been so much you know, so much long, so much more in the past, and they're and they're really not. I whenever, uh, whenever someone kind of like says like, what well, you know, why are like black people still upset about like slavery or about like oppression and stuff? I always think about that Joe Rogan bit where he goes like, America's only three people old. Yeah, <laughs> I all I really do. I always think of that. I go, yeah, but how many people that it took to share that story is a short list mm-hmm. right you know the hundred years war between the uk and france is a decent amount of people no one gives a shit about the fucking infighting between france and england no one cares why mm-hmm. would they no one's talking about the conquistadors anymore who gives a fuck it was too long ago but it's like slavery doesn't feel that long ago no you're like huh it does not. It's it's not. It's not that long ago. It, it's just very interesting. And the movie, I just liked it because I really felt like kind of open. I don't know. It was just. I I thought it was a good movie. Matthew McConaughey is and he's amazing in it. I mean, holy shit! And then he looks like the guy who really did the revolt, and that's what's crazy about it. He like looks like one to one. <laughs> and so you, uh, every person who was picked to do it was an amazing actor in it. There is the biggest complaint that people had about it was just that it was a lot of information. It wasn't even about the story. It was about there was too much information. It's like if there's, they're like, like someone said, I respect their opinion, but they said, I wish it would have been like a series. Actually, no. I read a comment that said, I wish this would have been a TV series so that we could do more. And it's like, well, then just read. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> There's clearly source material here. Yeah. Uh, Just yeah. read history. It, we should do it more. We should read more. I, and I want to read about it because it's like I kind of want to know, like, 
I feel like so many people kind of go like they know what the South is. And I don't think after watching the movie, I don't think anyone knows what the South is. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone Mm -hmm. knows what it is, what the South is. And that's what's so, it was kind of minor. It it was obviously people are going to be like, wow, you just discovered racism exists. Like, no, (laughs) (laughs) no. Thank you, Cade. Yay. It's just more like uh, the movie just did a good job and you just really, you just feel it. So it's more like you just, I don't know, some movies kind of just like fetishize some topics and make it like unrealistic. And then the thing is that people get mad about it too. Like people are like, this isn't real. They send the like, 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 uh, people do get mad about about Django too. Like how that, some people get mad about. Or people got married. You know. I, I think I might be wrong about this, but some, I thought that some people were like mad about like that one of the Harriet Tubman movies because they made her like the new one something maybe? like someone like they made her clothes really nice and people are like again it's like the Quentin Tarantino thing like she was a slave, mm-hmm. a runaway slave. She's not gonna look like this. It's like it's like no, show the real shit. Mm-hmm. make it real like show how heinous this was like people running through swamps while dogs were chasing them wearing rags do the mm-hmm. real thing mm-hmm. make it where it's right a real person right real people are they you know what i mean right moses the guy in the movie it's like that's a real guy the way he acted you go that's a regular dude just suffering and you just feel it's just how weird is that like you look at when you when you get presented just a fucking normal, like just an uh, anybody guy, and you just you feel worse for them because something bad's happening. And go, you're like, like man, you really are just not doing anything wrong. You're just hanging out, mm-hmm. and these people are just doing these horrendous things to you, and for no good reason. I think a big problem with the movie thing is that <clears throat> they're gonna make a spectacle of everything. Like, that yeah, I mean, well, because who's making these movies? Who's funding these movies? Not people who have uh, families that have lived experiences of uh, racial oppression. I feel like there's that the the movies that are gonna like define the modern perspective on on the Civil War and on the last century and a half of of uh, racial oppression. They are not making the movies yet. They have not gotten to that point in their filmmaking career as like young black filmmakers to make that movie yet. You know, and I think maybe there's a there's part of the the movement, the like the civil rights movement today that that has a space for that. You know, like and as, I, since I don't I don't have a lot of in, involvement in like in like a black person's experience in like the modern civil rights movement, mm-hmm. but I would like to know what somebody my age who is black thinks about the future of art in or historical art specifically in the civil rights movement moving forward because we, we could definitely contact people like that we, we could, could find definitely someone to talk about it yeah oh, and i'm sure there's people around here who you know like all those things like you remember all those like uh infographics during like when all the shit was going down they're like why don't you talk to why don't you talk to some of your black friends about what they think about the situation and here yeah. we are one white guy one racially <laughs> ambiguous guy <laughs> I was like, just thinking before we before we started this. I was like, "Have we had any POC guests yet?" Because like, there's no, there is none in Kenosha. That was a joke. What? <laughs> okay, <I'm> saying, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I look around. Actually, Kenosha. Actually, Kenosha is 
Well, I think it's pretty diverse, but the communities are very separate. We're a very segregated city. We are. That is very true. We are a very segregated city. However, yeah, I guess, you know, what my middle school was not diverse. My high school was decent. The main high school was decently diverse, too. You know, probably not as diverse as maybe like a big city would be, but. Right. Uh, Fucking, oh, my God. The college I went to was just white people everywhere. It's to the point where, like, you kind of like you, you like the school kind of talked about how they're like, we want people of color to feel comfortable here. Cause we know like they kind of would sell like, cause we know you're on your own out here. <laughs> That's oh, how they would kind of sell it. Cause it would just be a sea of white. And you'd be like, yeah, you know, if you can't maybe share some experiences that you have with someone that would come out of your race, like that would be kind of lonely. I get it. Yeah. That would be kind of lonely. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the school's racist. Maybe I'm accidentally being racist. But, you know, hey, welcome to the most delusional podcast on the internet. I'm sure there's a lot of young young people of color who, like, think that sometimes, like, leaders of institutions overprotect and over, like, shield and over... Or not over shield, like... Uh, it's probably both. Probably there's probably I mean there's probably both. There's probably some people that think like that they the schools do too much, people. and there's probably some people who believe that the schools don't do enough. Exactly. Who and knows? I'm sure schools are like we that. should ask. I don't know. You ever asked? You ever asked? <laughs> you ever asked? I did want. There is a few actually. You there's there actually is a guest that I want to have, and I but they don't live here, and I don't think they would come on the podcast. And I really like her music, but her name is uh. It's like Analia Music. She's in Chicago. She makes soul music. It was beautiful. Her album, she, it's beautiful. It's a great album. And I just like, I like her to be on, but I don't think she would come on. <laughs> because I think it would be hard to figure it out. And then I think we would have to actually go there. You know, we couldn't have her come here. We would have to go there. We can make it work. Maybe we could do it. You know, maybe I'll reach out and be like, hey, like I do like your work, but then... Then she's like, you guys are weird. I'm like, you know what? That's probably for the best. Yeah, then I would understand. There, I mean, we can't there's a ourselves. few guests I would like to have. And you're right. Uh, I would like to diversify the guests. We've only, to be fair, we've only had three guest episodes. And so right now we're, you know, I think statistically doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're pretty early. I want everybody. I want, like I said, like in, in the beginning of the pot, you know, the, the first podcast, even though some people, you know, made fun of us but like this is i do want this to be a safe space for everybody all ideas yeah. i don't care as much as we fuck around like like this week we're having on somebody whose political opinions might be very different from yours and mine thank god thank thank god i'm sure a lot of people were like god these guys are fucking guys just complain <laughs> <laughs> these guys are these guys just complain lunatics no i do i do you know They're i drunk do all the time i do want other people on here i want other people from different walks of life on here and experiences because i do want to talk about i just want to get some perspective you know when someone tells you to go get some perspective i want more of it i like the idea of getting more perspective i think that's uh healthy you should do that definitely when we go down to uh this will be cool we should i want to talk about this because uh no, you so jinxed it. it's never happening we're, if you bring it up if you bring you. it up no, it's no, not, no, 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 no you know it no it has to do with the trip we're taking yeah, that's the problem. Fuck you. <laughs> when we go down to like Nashville and like Texas and New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans, 
we should interview people. Like we should maybe scout beforehand. I think that would be cool to like, because that's the opportunity to find, to, to like find literally like a person whose perspective that we don't really have any prejudgments on, you know, where we, we could like actually, and they don't have any prejudgments on us, you know? So it's like coming in clear and blind. I I think that'd be cool. I really would like to, um, I would like to do, maybe when it warms up this summer, that is something we should do is maybe try to find some more places to do the podcast. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of do one in downtown Kenosha and just say the shit we do as people walk by. <laughs> <laughs> as I don't know. I, I do want to, I would like to do some man with a mic shit. But you don't want to expand with, it. You don't want to look like you're Steven Crowder at the same time. Why would you ever say that name on this podcast? <laughs> that fucking idiot. You couldn't oh at, least, at least bring the up the other guy, the man. I, I don't know who the other guy is. The man in the, yeah, the man, the like the dude who does like the comedy skits, the man in the mic stuff. I haven't where seen he's like, stuff. You know, you ever seen it? I, there's one, I don't know what his name is, but there's one clip of him where he goes, he like goes up to a girl and he's like, I'll give you a dollar if you name a woman. She's like, he, she's like, uh, and he's like, name a woman. She's like, uh, and he's like, name a woman. He just starts screaming like, name a woman. And then she does, she's like, you can't figure it out. She's like, damn it. It's so, it's just so dumb. He's like, name a woman. And he's like, what do you think of Seth Rogen? And this woman's like, he is not funny. And he's like, well, why don't you tell him to him right here? And then, like, the cameraman is Seth Rogen. <laughs> it's so, it's just dumb shit like that. But I don't want to do that. I, you know, I don't want to, I don't know. Man on the mic stuff is, man on the mic stuff can be really fucking lame. That's the problem. Man with the mic shit can be really dumb. It is a hard sell. It is. It's kind of hard to be entertaining from it. A. It's hard to be entertaining in general. B. It's hard to be entertaining when you're involving strangers. It is. Yeah. It is kind of. I mean, you know, obviously, your gut instinct has to be on ooh, point. Like yeah. you have to know exactly what you should and shouldn't do to like keep it going. Obviously, one of like the fucking modern comedic geniuses that does it perfectly is uh i'm blanking how are you blanking who like what yeah he does man on the mic stuff he does stuff in public a lot of it involves like skits involving complete strangers come on it's mr oh, eric, eric andre, andre. Yep. yeah yep. it's eric i mean that's but there's no consequence to what to stuff he does I, which it's is amazing. fine because it's fucking hilarious but he do, but he does do it right. He does do it where like ranch up, ranch it up. But that would be, I mean, look. I think everyone's like Ibian. It's hard to be funny, but it is hard. Hold on, <laughs> it is. But it's it's hard to be. I think some people think that some things are super daring, and once you do it, you're like, oh no, this is easy. Like I would love. I don't want to go to cities and just do like that's the thing. I wouldn't want to do downtown Kenosha. I would love to do a college campus though. Oh mm-hmm. my god, yeah. I love fucking with college kids because they are so up their asses. It is the best, dude. When I was in college, I, I went for a year and I dropped out because I'm a fucking moron. But I loved screwing with college kids. I would just like. I remember one time 
uh, you know, when you, the college I went to in particular, uh, had a very, you know, we're in Wisconsin. We already have a very big drinking culture. This school in particular has a huge drinking culture. And, uh, you know, it was always loud outside my dorm. I was at the third, I was on the third floor. It was just fucking annoying. And sometimes people would be in my dorm and you would just hear like people screaming outside. And I would just kind of like sit by the window and I would just drink and I would hear people being loud. I go out the window and I remember one time there's this group of girls. I'm like, Hey, do you like the office? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Just and they're like, fuck you. I mean, just like it was because, God, there was so many unentertaining and just boring people. The shit that I had to do to be entertained at college. So dumb. One of my one of my favorite experiences. Again, I was walking with a friend. We're both tall. I'm six, three. He's like six five, six six. You know, when we walk next to each other, you know, we're a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> and uh, uh, at, at the school, the sidewalk that went around the the school was big. It was like an extra wide sidewalk. So we're walking side by side, and we see this kid with a longboard coming towards us or behind us. I'm in the dirt. That's how far I walked over. Mm-hmm. I'm in the dirt and my friend is to the left of me. So if there was room for someone to walk by when there were both standing next to each other, there's more than enough room when someone is all the way to the right of the sidewalk. Yeah. And the dude crashed into my friend. <laughs> and 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 my friend was like, Oh man, are you okay? And the guy was like, Watch where you're going. And <laughs> we were he was like what the fuck do you mean? Watch where you're going. And he's like, and he was like, fuck you. He was like, fuck. And dude, he just started screaming. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he, yeah. He, he went, what the fuck did you say? What the something. fuck did you, it, it, this guy, when he did it, I was like, oh, it was just, a, you saw and you're like, oh, it was just a mistake. And I was more worried that, that my friend was hurt because it was a long, a longboard crash. The guy crashed into us. It wasn't the other way around. We weren't in the way. And my friend is just screaming. I was like, man, get the, we were like, get the fuck out of here. Like both of us are yelling that. But he is, my friend is very loud. He's going, you fucking bitch. How could you fucking say that? And he is just making a scene. And like professors are coming out of the building and staring at this kid. Dude, this kid fucked up so much. He didn't even ride away on his longboard. He picked it up and went into a building behind us. So he walked in the opposite direction and walked into a building. He's like, I can't do this right now. He like this thought, man is seven feet tall. This man, these people are about to kill me. I mean, it was pure rage. And fuck that kid. And yeah, he was literally. like, he, he had he like was, a man bun. He, but he was trying to like, like he was like, watch where you're going because he felt like a dumbass for yeah, fucking exactly. doing something and so stupid. So his fucking little, his little masculinity got threatened. Yeah. Dude had like a man bun and those stupid fucking. He had like a jean jacket with the with the uh uh, uh like those black and white shirts, the stripes. Yeah. You've seen this before. We've uh-huh. seen this. It's disgusting. All right, it's revolting. It's this a person. We all know who this guy is. We tell you tell you when you when your girl when your friends who are, happen to be females go i think that guy's cute you go stay away from him he is dangerous (laughs) don't even look at him 
because he's going to he's a rat he's a manipulator he's an awful human no really do we all it's kind of weird i feel like some let's talk about some nuance of like gender but there's definitely some types of men that we know that we can tell who they are by the way that they dress and it's definitely time like that i know is and maybe a girl would be like, oh, he's kind of cute. And I'm like, that was danger. <laughs> <laughs> that was many months or years of your life that you would go to therapy for. <laughs> that was danger. What do you do? But, you know, it's kind of like TikTok makes jokes about stuff like that yeah. all the time. Oh, TikTok's always everyone, like the, the, the fucking snitches for that. Everyone fucking loves, you know, the person that they think is naughty. You know what I mean? Naughty. We know that. It, it's, guys do the same thing because, you know, you damn well know that there is a that women know certain ways that maybe another girl will dress up and they're in like a certain style and they go she is dangerous and then like a guy will be like she's cute in their head they're like you're about to get fucked up <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean like everyone's got to know yeah. everyone knows they're just particular personalities and of course this goes across the entire spectrum of things and of just like everyone kind of has an inkling. You're like you're gonna fuck up your life with that one. It just it's interesting. I just think it was funny. But that's what this guy looked like. But some people are like, I want to fuck up my life with that. Look, one. and that's hey man, that's another conversation for another day. You know, sometimes uh, what's it called? You know, fortune favors the brave. <laughs> 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 Look. I was, you know, I felt like that's what college was for me. Fortune favoring the brave. You know, I, I, I hated it. It was awful. I did dumb shit. I would argue with professors. I was really close to calling my, one of my professors very large. I almost called him fat. He was a very large man. And he, he was just talking about like male privilege all day. I'm like, this is so boring. You were so boring. He was very liberal. That's the problem, man. If there's too many liberal professors, not that conservatives are right, but you need, there's just not enough ideas in academia. I feel, I felt like when I was there, just like that we get kind of introduced to, it's like, you know, a lot of, I feel like the problem is, is that a lot of kids in this particular environment, and I'm going to state that. So I'm going to say just, I'm just saying this. So, paint a picture of a you know midwest college with a lot of white people and a lot of those kids are coming from suburbs lots of suburbs so you know a lot of these kids haven't been open to any diversity and it's a real it's a and they go to a college that doesn't open them up to a lot of diversity so where do they learn diversity from white people that doesn't make any sense <laughs> that doesn't make any sense and then some people will go well yeah but you can read a book about racial oppression like yeah but man there's no conversation there who's gonna give you the cliff notes that's important there's not there's not a real that's not a real you who's know like gonna, yeah, who's you gonna could, help you f like who's gonna filter that information is it going to be somebody whose main a teacher whose main filter is their own political persuasion that that like compresses the the ideas yeah. of that of whatever that story is trying to tell and i guess like you can go well like yeah there's t plenty of books that are fucking primary sources on the effects of racial oppressions like and you can read them I'm like yeah and but you kind of do feel it after you read it of course but it's like yeah but when you're really 
it's going to sound so weird, but I think this is a real problem in this country is that I think a genuine problem with white people who are only grow up around white people is that the moment that they have a chance to maybe grow up around a more diverse environment, they can look around and go, oh, most people are the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, we're all in this together. And there is things wrong with the system. And then you go, yeah, that is fucked up. Not because my professor told me it's because that is just a normal person. Right. And why is it just, why is there just bad stuff happening to them? And why are we kind of knowingly letting it happen? And that's why that movie's so good. <laughs> because mm-hmm. that's what this is. That was a diverse environment. <laughs> yeah. You go, oh, oh, everyone is kind of in the same boat. We are, yeah, you know, it's kind of lame. Like, oh, we all, we're all human in the end of it. It's like, it's more than that. It's like, it's not that you're human. It's more like, oh, we're all fucked. (laughs) And it's not fair that you're more fucked than me for reasons that you have no control over that really shouldn't even be in the uh, spectrum. Like, obviously... You know, that kind of sounds like, like, obviously there's people who are dealt horrible cards where, like, you get unlucky, you get unlucky and you pick the uh, blind card. You know, you're born blind. You're born deaf. Like, obviously, not talking about that. I'm talking more on, like, a racial thing where it's like, you know, you look around and you go, ah, this is just us. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But when you are just a suburban white kid and you go to a school with all white people and all the all the professors are white and they're telling you about racial oppression i don't think it clicks in a real way Mm-mm. it clicks in a uh it clicks in the way of um looking at a picture of vegas and never going to vegas like, and saying, wow that looks crazy no, and saying that looks... i've been to vegas oh that's even worse right. it's actually more delusional it's worse it's yeah. not just like that looks looks amazing he goes oh i've been there it's like no no this isn't count but maybe it's like oh we're preparing you for the real world but it's like you're not you're just giving like these weird like in you know these weird like academic sense of like maybe what the real world will be but guess what i gotta be honest with you a lot of these kids who came from the white suburbs who went to white colleges are gonna end up in white accounting firms (laughs) in reality i mean like it's like they work in white business firms. It didn't change. Some people will go to be uh, uh, teachers in, in, in uh, you know, like Milwaukee, and they'll be like, oh, shit, this is really diverse. This is a whole different. You know, some people will be social workers and meet all types of mm-hmm. people, but some people will just end up in the same bubble that they were always born in, and now they've been equipped with this completely kind of not delusional, but just not the most, you know, fair and understood way of like, you know, what is what maybe we operate in when it comes to race. It was just interesting. I just, that was one thing I really felt, mm. you know, I was thinking about the other day. I, uh, uh, we, I kind of talked about in the last podcast, we were talking about how I, I, I said, I don't like the term people of color. And one thing I wanted to say is that, maybe one thing that people don't know about me is that 
One of my reasons I feel that way is because I remember being in middle school and because of my last name being called down with the people who we would be considered people of color. And I didn't like it because it felt like they were making fun of us. And since it's just my last name and I know it's Almaraz, like I look like I'm definitely white. Um, I was raised in a, like a half Mexican household, you know, especially when I lived with my grandma, you know, half and half. But that was one thing that, that always bothered me is that when even when I went to college, I had a Hispanic professor come up to me and talk to me and ask me how I was doing because of my last name and because I was Hispanic. And it bothered me. I didn't like that. I really didn't. I was like, dude, I'm fine. And you should have known that. But from him, he's like, well, if you grew up in a Hispanic household, maybe you don't get what all these white kids are about. And I was like, I had half the experience of living in a white household, and I still don't get what these white kids are about. <laughs> I don't get what most people are about. Obviously, Who does? I'm, Who I'm, gets what everybody's about, even if you're from the same... Uh, racial background is. I like, I what? know, but you know what I mean. It it, it was. No, I'm agreeing it, with you. I'm yeah, saying it like, was. It, it's it's not fair to assume. It in felt a, weird. in a racist way, and it's not fair to assume in a like anti in a, like an anti-racist way. It was just weird to me, and I never liked. I just was like, I don't need. I don't need. I didn't need the help. Maybe some other people need the help, and you know, maybe, maybe there was a kid in his class who was, you know, darker than me, who was Hispanic and did feel like he was like, I don't fit in here. And, like, that would suck. But I also thought, like, maybe I'm just in that particular situation. You know, I was explaining to someone how uh, my middle school was extremely racialized. And one weird thing that I had when I went to it is that I had two groups of friends. One that one group of friends that was entirely Mexican and one group of friends that was entirely white. And they did not mix. It was very weird. Hmm. I literally, it was like, they liked, the, the Mexicans liked me. They're like, do you speak Spanish? I'm like, no. They're like, oh. And they'd be like, who speaks Spanish? I'm like, my grandma did. They'd be like, ah, just like us. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it was just weird. I don't know. I remember that being the thing that one of them said to me. It was just funny. <laughs> they're like asking me, they're like, so like, how Mexican are you? I'm like, well, this is what happened. And they're like, yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was really weird. But they're like, and then they would talk to me. It was interesting. I mean, it was fine. But again, racial nuances. They're weird shit like that. And that really happened. I'm not fucking making that up. I have no means to. I don't care to. But God, it's just, it's just, even from that perspective alone, I go, there's white people who don't know what I'm talking about. And it's just like, no professor is going to help you with that one. None of them. No professor is going to help you with that. Just like no professor is going to really help you understand the black experiment experience on a like spiritual level. Mm-hmm. It's just not. It's just uh, not going to happen. And and it's just I don't like, know like that. That's back. We to need what to I open said, the narrative. Well, that's what I said. Back to my point earlier about about uh, art made like historical art or just art in general made by uh, a young person of color. Like that is, I think, the only chance to show everybody like the black experience like that's pr- i think that's probably the the only chance well that's why like, soul was that, so good like I, you can't put it through like this this plastic academic form it just does not like we we can't we can't disregard what 
how much emotion plays into this. Well, you that know? was like why Soul was so good. Like when they yeah. made like why jazz, you know, every character in that was black and how they, it was about jazz music, a lot of other stuff, but like it surrounded like this weird thing about jazz and like how the main character, like when he got, went to a jazz club, his dad was like, you know, you need to learn about our culture and, in in, in uh, you know, in improvised art. And it is strange, like, the cultures of art and how it's, like, racially tied and, like, especially with jazz, how it was, like, practically banned. You know what I mean? Like, it was, mm-hmm. like, racist for white people, like, to like. No, not racist for white people to like jazz music, but, like, it wasn't okay for white people to like black music. Mm-hmm. Very strange. And you're like, but with that movie, thank God that that has, is changing. Like, oh, yeah. Thank, but there That's is changed, still... But it's- we're in a weird area. We're in a very gray, strange area, and it's like, uh, you know, fucking... Well, because there's still ter- stereotypes about, like, white kids who listen to rap. Because the assumption is that, but by the people who make those stereotypes and those jokes, is that, oh, that's not for white kids. And some people I don't know, but, but, like some, but some of those kids definitely hear that, and they think, oh, I get a... I can... I can I can understand this entire culture and it's the whole history and this entire race. And that's not oh, right. Well, the biggest thing is like how, how, like, uh, how, um, you know, controversial like Eminem is to hip hop. Mm. You know what I mean? Like some people really think that he is the, one of the worst rappers and that he stole from people in this and stole from a culture. But then other people are like, no, he's one of the greatest of all time. And he made, he added to the culture in a genuine way. And again, uh, I remember watching like, uh, I remember watching a v- old video. It was about some old documentary on hip hop. And one of the biggest, one, one thing that like, like artists were worried about at the time was like the Beastie Boys. Cause they were like, we don't want this genre to become a white genre. We want this to be ours. It was mm-hmm. just interesting because it's like, and then you think about like, you know, like just weird shit where like, um, you know, you learn about, you learn about how much got taken away. Just even from the fact of like last names being given to them because it was the plantation owners and that mm-hmm. like family names of some black people are still from that plantation owner. And you're like, that's fucked up. You know what I mean? Like so much of like the original places from things it's like then being in like a new world and being hated by it and being kind of cast the shadows to making your own art and then you have beautiful things like jazz you have miles davis you know what i mean you have nina simone mm-hmm. the soul si- oh my god nina simone is amazing mm-hmm. Barry, you have Jimmy, Barry, uh, Barry Harris, fucking phenomenal jazz teacher. You get, yeah, you, you get, get Jimmy, Hendri- you Jimmy, Jimmy Hendrix. Jimmy Hendrix, you get, you know, you, and then even later, you, amazing rappers and artists like Kendrick Lamar and Kanye West mm-hmm. and Jay-Z and, you know, JPEG Mafia and, and fucking MF Doom. You just like, I, it just like, it's just, I, I don't know. It's, I know this podcast is, you know, some of the things we're talking about that we don't know about, but we're just, I mean, a lot of it for me, I'm just talking about like this world we live in is fucked up, but there's a lot of beautiful things that have came out of it. And it's like, how do we open the door to let people enjoy as many beautiful things, let people enjoy as many beautiful things as possible. 
Yeah. And how do we get there? And it's sad to think that because some people are barred from living an equal life of justice and equity, that that idea is ruined. And mm-hmm. that's, it's very odd. It's very, it's very strange. And then like, then you, then it's just, you kind of, when you look at it like that, you're like, you lose everybody. You know, we talk about white privilege, privilege and stuff. And it's like, if that's the world we live in, everyone loses a little bit of privilege to enjoy a more beautiful world. Mm-hmm. And that's odd. It's a very strange thing that we're stuck in, but you know, I mean, hopefully maybe we can open narratives with people with this podcast. Maybe, you know, us talking about this stuff and people listening and going like, yeah, I hear what they're saying. And who knows? We got to, you know, we can say everything's fucked all day long. But if you quit trying to at least start a conversation, then you become part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be part of the problem. Then you just become, you can't become background noise. If you're just saying like, if you're just observing and then reporting and not trying to like, you're not trying to like spin something new up. You know, you're not trying to like kickstart anybody's brain. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I, that's what is, uh, I see happening equally across the board in Kenosha, at least from what I can tell, is that people yes. in like, of any background and race that I've ever encountered in the, the art artistic scene in Kenosha is like that, that is like at the the forefront of their intention. Like there's a, a, an old friend of mine named Jawan Johnson who, why'd you say that? Cause he's an artist. I was oh, talking okay. About him. Okay. Sorry. I thought, because, I thought, thought it was, was just like a guy. I'm like, why oh, no, did you no. say his first name and his last no, name? No, cause he, cause he's a really great artist. Uh, where he, he uh when i first met him he was like uh showing me his process in in drawing and kind of like painting and drawing mixed and just the way that he would use that to talk about something that to talk to talk about ideas and express feelings that he i think he saw as like universal throughout humans but it was characterized through like his black american lens Yes. Which is what I was saying earlier with, you know, whatever, like, young black filmmaker is going to make the piece that, you know, can reach literally everybody through the lens of their lived experience. Like, that's the line you have to, that's the mix you have to have, you know? Mm-hmm. If, we're, if we're going to get to that point where, like, we can, we can actually say nobody has pri- privilege over anybody, mm-hmm. you know? Everybody gives in to this. Everybody, like, everybody opens the door for everybody. You know, like, there's no, you don't go through your particular door because of your race. There's one giant door that we all get to go through, Mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't matter what background you come from. Like, that's a huge goal. A huge goal. And we're still trying to figure out why people shouldn't shoot each other. Yeah, we're trying to figure out what we if we if POC <laughs> is an okay word. We're trying to figure out to if people if cops should um, you know shoot people in the back or not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're almost there. 
Maybe we'll give it we another. Might be. Hey, Some, give you, it another. You never know. You never know. Give it another hundred. You never know what'll happen tomorrow. You never know what'll fucking happen. Give it another hunge. Hunge. You are here first, people, and only here first. But we all want a beautiful world, and I hope whenever you're listening to this, you have a beautiful day. And uh, you know, stay on the up and up, people. Yep. Take care of the world out there. Bye-bye. See ya.